Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Bonus Benson. This segment is officially completely off the rails. What are you talking about? Stuff we wish never aired. I will eat chalupas all day long. Come on, man. The Guy Benson Show. Home stretch here on The Guy Benson Show from very northern Wisconsin today and tomorrow. Thank you for listening every day. Podcast free on demand. And we always offer you that opportunity. GuyBensonShow.com. Well, as we get going here in our final segment, a bit of a grab bag of issues. Over the weekend, I got a text message from my best friend, Mary Catherine Ham, who listens to the show from time to time. She loves Bonus Benson on the weekends, the podcast. So she was listening to Bonus Benson, and she had concluded this most recent episode, and she texted me noting that producer Christine was considering becoming a Detroit Lions fan. And by the way, Mary Catherine is a Lions fan and a long-suffering one at that, number one. Number two, that Christine had never heard of a Waffle House, as we established last week. And number three, Christine was defending Meghan Markle in that discussion that we had in one of our home stretches. And Mary Catherine, with great love and affection, wondered if producer Christine had ever been so wrong in such a concentrated period of time, just one week. And my guess is probably yes. It seemed like almost sort of an average or normal week from Cookie's perspective, at least from where I sit. And she could have added one more, Mary Catherine could have, to the list of wrongness, sort of the the indictment, if you will. You might recall that we had the discussion late last week about the food product, French fries covered with gravy and cheese. Poutine is what it's called. Producer Christine calls it disco fries. So we did a poll at Guy Benson Show. We asked America what the correct answer was, and America got the right answer. 88%, 88%, and this is a blowout, 88% called it poutine, just 12% agreeing with producer Christine's disco fries. So, Christine, I wonder, do you have any rebuttal to Mary Catherine Ham overall? And secondly, will you concede your defeat on poutine? No, I, I'm not conceding. Um, okay, Stacey Abrams, <laughs> go on. <laughs> you know, I was talking about this in the newsroom, and one of my coworkers turned around and said, of course it's disco fries, which leads me to believe it's a possibility that this poll is rigged. I'm not I'm not going to, you know, point fingers, but Wyatt seems to be the one that's doing all these polls. And every time he throws a poll up, I lose. And there's no way that I could lose this much. So, well, I'm just going to, yeah, I mean, you know, there is a way. It's just reality. And I pick my spots. When I know that you're wrong, then I call for a poll. Wyatt doesn't rig the polls. Quiet Wyatt is definitely more technologically advanced than you are, but he does not rig the polls. These are just the people speaking. This is just the people rendering a verdict that you don't like and once again showing that you're incorrect and dangerously out of touch. Like, if this were going to be like an attack ad. It's Christine running for office, God forbid. It's like, cookie, dangerously out of touch, whereas I... I'm a man of the people. No, I'm going to say this again. Nobody calls it poutine. I don't know who 
voted or who you got to vote? Did you just like literally call everybody you knew in Canada and said, "No, hey. this is like no, this is like when the libs lose an election." And people go on television or like ranting on social media being like, I don't know a single person who voted for Trump. It's like you're in a bubble, Christine. You've got to get out of your bubble sometimes. Uh, Any response to Mary Catherine Ham? I didn't know that she was a Lions fan. And, you know, the one thing, I do love me some MKH, but hey, we got to stick together, okay? Women supporting women. Hmm. Hillary says it all the time. Come on. No, she likes accuracy. And she likes people who are correct. Well, and was, so that's why she's sort of, you know, on my side on these things. By the way, the rebuttal that you could have had was that the Lions, I believe, actually won their game yesterday. I was just about to say that, that they won. Okay. So I was just like a week off. I'm still I'm still not throwing, you know, all my support to the Lions. I think for right yeah. now, I'm, I'm leaning towards the Bills. I did watch football yesterday. I watched a few games. Boy, that Cowboys game was good. Mm-hmm. The Cardinals look, the game Bills, was good. Bills are a good team. I think if you talk to the Bills Mafia, their fan base, they would tell you there's been quite a lot of famous, historic heartache in that franchise and among that fan base as well. So just, you know, think hard, select carefully. I'll point out that Big Blue, the Giants, now 2-0, first 2-0 start in a number of years. So I just keep that in mind. Now, I do want to shift gears quickly here, Christine, because we have a few different things to cover. Did you see the Instagram story that I posted yesterday. I also posted a version of the video on my personal Twitter account, at Guy P. Benson, yesterday. It's like a 10- or 11-second video of my hotel room that I had in Chicago over the weekend. I sure did see that. I am obsessed. I can't even tell you how cool this was. So I got to the hotel. It's the Langham Hotel in Chicago, actually right by the Trump Building, right on the Chicago River or right near it. Beautiful location, really cool views. And a friend of mine has a very good connection there. So I was able to get, let's just say, a slight discount because otherwise that's a hotel that'd be a bit out of my price range generally. But I was there and I got into my room, which was absolutely gorgeous and huge. And I walked into the bathroom And the bathroom was enormous. And they have the first thing that you see, it's impossible to not have your eyes immediately go over to what I guess they call a wet room, where it's a glassed-in room that has a tub and then the rain shower from above and then other different jets for the shower. But it's all in one space. So they just, like, refer to that as a wet room, which was cool. It was large. It was very opulent. But what was surprising and kind of weird to me was on the other side of the bathtub was a huge glass window just looking directly into the bedroom. So you're looking out at the bed, you can see the TV, you can see the window looking outside into the city, and there's just like glass separating the bathroom from the bed. And the toilet, of course, is also in this area, not in the wet room, but in the bathroom. And I thought to myself, well, this is kind of cool and different, but what if someone is in your room that you would prefer not to see you showering, for example, or using the restroom for other reasons? Like, it was a little bit exposed, kind of like a fishbowl-type feel. Now, I was by myself, so it wasn't going to be an issue, but I was looking for some sort of a curtain or maybe some sort of a shade that you could pull down, or there was a button you could press, and the shade would come down, and you would have that option for privacy, and I didn't see that. 
And I said, well, that's a little bit odd. Then I noticed a button that said privacy glass. I said, okay, how's this going to work? I pushed the button, and the transparent glass between the bathroom and the bedroom instantly fogs up and becomes translucent but not transparent. Privacy glass. Like, I'm talking about one second after I pushed the button, you could no longer see through. Then you push the button again, and even more instant, it snaps back to regular glass and you can see through. And like a child, entranced, I stood there, I kid you not, for probably 10 minutes, just pushing the button over and over again, and just being delighted and marveling at what was happening and trying to figure out, number one, how do I get this in my life, in my house, I need this. Number two, how the hell does this work? I, it's like, was this a lighting effect? No, it fogs up. So I did some Googling. It is probably uh, a bit expensive to install in the house, but there's a science behind it uh, that's extremely cool. And I, of course, had to share this with the world. So I posted to my Twitter, at Guy P. Benson. It was up on Instagram as well, although that story has already expired. But you can find it on my Twitter, I hope I'm not, like, overselling how cool this was. And some people said, oh, yeah, this technology's been around a while. Haven't you seen it here or there? I had never seen it before. And so for me, it was incredibly cool. And I want to go back to that hotel just to mess around with that button again. Have you ever seen something like this, Christine? Or were you blown away, taken aback when you saw my video? I've seen something like that um, when I went to Miami, but yours was much cooler. I just have to say, I'm married now, so it would be fine if I walked into a hotel with Bobby and this was the situation. But if I was, like, dating somebody and we were on vacation, this would be a hard no for me. I, we would have to find a new hotel or a new hotel room. Very uncomfortable. Well, until you found the privacy button. I wouldn't right? trust the privacy button. I don't know. I just I, – I wouldn't like it. Wait. You're telling me that even knowing that you can fog up the glass on demand – you would reject the room and go to another hotel? 100%. I would not be staying there. No way. I'm confused. Why? Well, what if the button didn't work? What if you're in, you know, in the middle of a shower, your business, whatever you got to do in there, and then, like, the, the, the fog just went away? Big problem. Mm. I mean, I, I think that they've worked that out scientifically. And once it works, it works. Like, you can test it. And if it was working to your satisfaction, I just can't believe you would reject such a gorgeous hotel room with such a cool feature. What's wrong with you, Christine? I reject animals. Why are you surprised? Uh, Yeah, it's just like, oh, yeah, too good for a pony and too good for the privacy glass at the Langham. That's cookie. Last topic, Christine. Last night on my way all the way up to the north woods of Wisconsin, I was picked up by one of the gentlemen who's involved in this organization that I'm speaking for later, and we stopped along the drive for a product, a product that I needed. That product, of course, was Coke Zero because I need one every day and we were going to this remote lodge and I was guessing maybe they didn't have Coke Zero so I wanted to stock up to make sure that my my daily fix would be met and we got to this very large sort of quick stop, quick mart type place and they had a huge refrigerator filled with everything you could imagine including a wide array of Coca-Cola products but not Coke Zero. 
Instead, they had something that I had never heard of or seen before with a blue label called Coca-Cola Zero Sugar Dream Flavored, the Dream World Limited Edition. And it's like got this sort of powder blue label. And then there was a red label and a red cap for the normal version, then a black cap and a black-themed label for the Zero Sugar version. And they didn't have regular Coke Zero. I had no idea what this was, Dream World. I asked the cashier. They're like, I don't know. I think it's supposed to taste like your dreams. It's some new product that hasn't even been fully rolled out yet. I I am just pleading ignorance. It was the only thing that I thought might be or resemble Coke Zero. I didn't know what I was getting into. I only bought one in case it didn't go well. And... With all respect to my friends at the Coca-Cola company, and you know that I'm a loyal customer on my Coke Zero, it did not go well. I opened it in the car. I sniffed the overall aroma, right? It had a very strange nose on it, if you will. And then I tried a sip, and it was just no. It was an absolute hard no to the point that I didn't even want to take a second sip. I had one sip, and that was it. And we made a run into town today, and I got my Coke Zero, which is why I am here and energetic on the air. The crisis was averted. The issue was resolved. I'm sure they've, like, focus grouped this thing and product tested it. Someone must like the Dream World Coca-Cola Dream flavor. Uh, I am just not among that group. So I give it two thumbs down, but you can always go and judge for yourself. And with that... We are out of time. Back here tomorrow, also from Wisconsin. Same time, same place, on The Guy Benson Show. Home stretch on The Guy Benson Show. And if you are listening on the broadcast, our bumper song here is the theme song for a podcast called Serial that got so much attention. It was back in 2014. I binge-listened to the whole thing. It had a lot of buzz. It was about the murder of a young woman in Maryland, a high school student, who was found dead. Her name was Hay Lee. And she was killed in 1999. So years later, a decade and a half later, this podcast started to look into the murder and the murder conviction of her boyfriend, Adnan Syed, who'd been in prison at that point for years while maintaining his innocence. And the host of the podcast, Sarah Koenig, really did a deep dive. It was one of these true crime podcasts, and she went sort of through the entire murder. She retraced a lot of the steps. She tested some of the theories of the case and some of the accusations from prosecutors. There were interviews, like prison interviews with Adnan Syed, the convicted killer in the case and many other people who were related to the case in some way. And it was riveting stuff. I just blew right through it. And a lot of people were chattering about it at the time. People had their various theories. Was he actually innocent? Was he guilty of her murder? Was he maybe aware of certain things that he wasn't letting on, but maybe not directly responsible for the killing? Everyone had their theory. If you listen to Serial back in 2014, uh, I was certainly among them. There was an HBO documentary made about it uh, a couple years back. So this has been kind of percolating, and occasionally you'll see a headline here or there about some appeal or some new allegation related to the case just because of the national attention that this whole situation had garnered. 
Well, there was a big development yesterday where prosecutors in Maryland asked a judge to vacate the judgment against Syed, who was now at this point, what, convicted decades ago. He's been in prison for years for this murder that he maintains he did not commit. So a judge in the state granted the prosecution's request yesterday afternoon, and Syed was released, and it's unclear what the next step is going to be. But outside the courthouse, there were people who have been supporters of his for a very long time. They had gathered to witness this decision, and as he walked out, he was greeted with cheers from some of his fans, if you can call it that, or supporters. Here's what it sounded like. So, obviously, there are other people who believe that he's guilty and that the conviction was correct, and it's disturbing to think that a convicted murderer is now free again. So, I have kind of a lukewarm take on this, my overall theory, having listened to the whole podcast. And I guess there's a new episode. They dropped a new episode yesterday, the first one in years, because Sarah Koenig was at the courthouse and bringing these developments to the fore in this relatively short new episode that they sort of scrambled to produce. It's, I believe, less than 20 minutes long. I haven't heard it yet. I will listen for sure. Christine was also someone who listened to Serial back in the day. This is before she and I had ever met. We were both off in our own little worlds listening to Serial. And Christine, before I give my take on what I sort of feel about the case... I honestly have no idea where you come down. Are you a free Syed person? Are you a he's guilty? What's your thought on this? Okay, so Guy, I was definitely a free Adnan from the very, very beginning. I listened to Serial. I probably listened to the entire 12 episodes more than once over the years because I found it so compelling. It was probably one of the first podcasts that I ever really listened to. It's really what introduced me to podcasting. And now he is home. And they said that um, the prosecutors have 30 days to decide if they're going to bring up charges again or if they're going to just drop this altogether. And I have a feeling my gut is saying they're going to drop this. And there are two people out there that... um, they also have on their list that are possible suspects, and I think we're going to see this case move into a completely different direction. All right, well, foxnews.com explaining this. The DA's office revealed last Wednesday that a year-long review of the case uncovered new evidence. That was according to the Wall Street Journal. Quote, the state no longer has confidence in the integrity of the conviction, said Baltimore's state's attorney Marilyn Mosby. And then if you read down into some of the legal documents in this filing in the Baltimore City Circuit Court, the new information dealt with, as you said, two other potential suspects. And the prosecutor said this, quote, to be clear, the state is not asserting at this time that the defendant is innocent. However, for all the reasons set forth below in this document, the state no longer has confidence in the integrity of the conviction. So they're not saying he didn't do it, but they aren't really sure about the conviction anymore. This is, what, 20 years later. You're obviously sounding happy that he's now out. Oh, thrilled. Yeah, the way that I look at this is, and bear in mind this was years ago, right? So this was... 99. Eight eight years ago? Well, the the podcast. Oh, 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 The podcast was 2014, so that was eight years ago. And 
at the time, and I'm just sort of racking my own brain and memory, a lot of the details are a little bit shaky. Uh, but part of the reason that we're talking about this is because, at least at the time, it became the most downloaded podcast ever. There was so much interest in this story. And my lukewarm take that I mentioned a moment ago is that I believe that there is a greater chance than not that Adnan Syed at least had some knowledge of or involvement in the killing in some way. I think that he's not being fully honest. There is a fair amount of circumstantial evidence that is questionable about his behavior and certain other things and holes in the story. Like, I remember he would call her and contact her constantly, and then the day that she disappeared, he just stopped contacting her completely, or shortly thereafter, which seems suspicious. There were a number of different things. Also, one of his friends, a guy I believe named Jay, knew where the body was in a car, which was like one of the significant spoilers in this podcast, but it's years old now, so I think, you know, it's sort of the statute of limitation has passed, and that was a very significant detail, I think, that just led me to believe that Adnan Syed was not necessarily innocent in all of this, but I was also not completely convinced of that. I think there was a significant possibility that he had nothing to do with it, and from a legal perspective, there were so many horrible mistakes made in court. His lawyer seemed awful, and I really felt like they did not prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he was guilty of murder. So, you know, that's not really a satisfying conclusion that I reached, like I'm not all in on he's innocent, free the guy or whatever. But, I mean, you don't have to be convinced of someone's innocence to say that they shouldn't have been convicted and shouldn't be sitting in prison. The burden there has to be on the state, and I don't think that they met it. So for that reason, I'm glad that he's out, but also not totally sure that he's an innocent man, which is kind of a weird feeling to have. I 100% disagree with you. So the the witness that you're talking about, the person that said that that, that they saw Hayes' body, Jay Child, he, if, if you watch the documentary on HBO, he was up against a lot of drug charges. And I personally believe, because we saw this in the Ryan Ferguson case, if you remember, I think that the prosecutors, I think the detectives fed him information to kind of just close this case up. He well, needed to make sure that he wasn't going to go to prison. They needed to convict somebody of a missing woman, you know, 18-year-old. And we, like I said, we saw the same thing no, happen No, no, but, that, but that's the key, though. She was missing. No one knew where her body was, except he did. It was in the trunk of a car, and he knew where the car was. Like, they didn't know where she was until he told them. No, no, so they, no, that's not, no, that's not true. Somebody else found the body, remember? And then he said that, oh, no, he yeah, knew, that's yeah, where she we was, put it. Yeah, it was, he knew where the car was, that not right. where the body was. The body was in a park, right? That was my mistake. They found her in a park. Some guy was, like, in that park and, and run, ran across the dead body. But she was, I guess, held and transported in a car. The car was missing. Yep. And... They couldn't find the car, which is a crucial piece of evidence, and Jay knew where the car was. That was the, the detail, and that was significant to me. The point is, though, I think where we actually agree is that in terms of the important burden of proof to convict someone of a crime, especially as serious as murder, you have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, and the prosecutors just, in my view, and I sounds like yours too, just did not do that. And that ultimately is the legal rub here. 
Uh, what I, I agree with you on that. And also, I just want to say it is so scary. And we've seen this before and so sad that it took this many years to try to clean this up, to try to get him free. And like Marilyn Mosby said, they don't even think that he's innocent just yet. But we'll probably see in the next month or two that they won't they won't press any more charges on him. Well, and they're I mean, I guess we'll, we'll see. Right. They'll have to make that decision here in the upcoming days. And I guess one perspective is if. Adnan Syed was somehow involved, right? One theory would be that he directly killed her himself, and he's a murderer, and he's been convicted. He's been sitting in prison for two decades. That's option one. Option two is he hasn't been fully forthcoming. Maybe he was an accessory or an accessory after the fact or had some sort of involvement. Well, he's been in prison, as I said, for 20 years or so, so he's definitely paid a debt for that if he's guilty of that. And if he had nothing to do with this, if he was totally innocent of this completely, he's been sitting behind bars unjustly for really his entire adult life to this point. Uh, and that is such a grave injustice if that's the case. And so, you know, you kind of pick which door you believe. I tweeted about it and I had a bunch of people flooding into my replies and DMs with all sorts of different theories. People were like, no, he's definitely guilty. They're letting him walk. This is an outrage. And other people saying this is a long time coming, all of it. I just think it's very interesting. I would just say if you've never heard of Serial or it was something that you like got wind of back in 2014 but never got around to it, I would listen to it. I think it's very compelling. I think it's engrossing. I just sat in silence in my car and even in my house listening hour after hour to this. And now this big bombshell update years later you know, way after the conviction and years after the podcast became a hit with Adnan Syed walking free, sort of, for now with future decisions on whether to seek a new trial or to drop the charges, uh, that all remaining to be seen and to be announced here in the coming days and weeks. And when there's an update, we'll bring it to you. And if you haven't listened to the Serial Podcast, Obviously, keep listening to the Guy Benson Show podcast every day. That's crucial. But if you have some extra free time, I think it's worth your while. And with that, we've got to run. Thank you for listening. I'm Guy Benson from Wisconsin today. I'll be in Illinois tomorrow doing the show. Thanks for being here. We'll talk to you then. And have a great night. Here's the 3-1. Drill deep to left field. There it goes. Number 60. Slide over, babe. You've got some company. Aaron James Judge has tied George Herman Babe Ruth with 60 home runs. Home stretch here on the Guy Benson Show. That was Michael Kay on the call. The Yes Network last night in New York. The Yankees playing the Pittsburgh Pirates. And you heard there Aaron Judge tying Babe Ruth and the 60 home run mark in a season. If he gets his 61st, which everyone is expecting sometime soon, he would tie Roger Maris and then could break that record in at least the Yankees franchise in the next couple of nights, potentially. I think my brother might be going to the game tonight. He's very much hoping to see Judge make even more history. But beyond what happened specifically for Judge with that swing of the bat, that came in the bottom of the ninth inning. Yankees were trailing by four runs going into the ninth, and it was not looking great. 
not a game that I was expecting them to win. I put my phone down because I was at this event in Wisconsin. Next thing I know, I'm getting text messages about what has happened. Judge homered to pull the Yankees to within three, and a number of batters later, the bases were loaded for another Yankee. Giancarlo Stanton at the plate, bases juiced, Yankees down three, and here's how the game ended, cut 32. That one's drilled to left field. Is it high enough? See ya! A walk-off grand slam, and the Yankees win! Judge hit 60, and the Yankees win in walk-off fashion. Just an epic walk-off for the Yankees. Very, very cool to see. Just bananas at the stadium. People going crazy. You could hear the crowd in the background there. But it's great to win the game. Love to see the walk-off Grand Slam. Sorry if you're a Pirates fan. But the big story that the national sports media is following is this quest by Aaron Judge to hit certain milestones and then surpass them. So out in left center field, there was a young man named Michael Kessler college student, 20 years old, who had decided last minute to go to the game. Hopped on the subway, was able to get a ticket out there, and he stuck around, obviously, as did most of the fans, and he caught the home run ball on a bounce. That's a piece of history instantly. Here is Kessler describing what happened in Cut 33. Describe what happened. You saw the ball. Just describe the moment. Uh, it hit the top of the top of the bullpen, hit off someone's hand, and I just reached and grabbed it. And you were on the bottom of the pile, huh? It wasn't so much of a pile. I tried to get off to the side and get out of there as quick as possible. So what's the plan now? Do you want to get a chance to meet Aaron Judge? Yeah. You excited? I'm excited. How excited? Very excited. Do well, you have any expectations about catching the ball and receiving something in return? Um, no, just wanted to give him, give him back his history. So any way I could get back to Judge, give him so much to the organization, just do my part. So I think that's a cool approach that this guy has. There is no question about keeping the ball for himself. He wants to give it. He said, look, this is his story. This is his history. However, it's not like he's going to get nothing for this. The Yankees offered him the opportunity to go down to the Yankee clubhouse for a meet and greet with Aaron Judge, autographed baseballs, a signed game bat from Judge. So he's going to get some pretty cool artifacts from Judge and probably snap some photos and have some good content for his Instagram if he's got one. But the ball will be in the possession of the Yankees and Aaron Judge, and it seems like Kessler didn't really put up too much of a fight on that. Which brings us to my question for, let's say, producer Christine, who is not necessarily a huge sports fan, although she's becoming a big football fan. If, Christine, you found yourself at Yankee Stadium in the position of this college student and you end up somehow with this baseball in your possession, perhaps your husband would have to explain to you the significance of the ball, but once you knew that it mattered a lot, would you have been this accommodating, or would you have held out maybe for a a bigger bounty in exchange for giving it up, or do you keep the ball and maybe sell it? What do you do in this kid's shoes? So if I caught the ball, I'm keeping the ball. That's like the end of the story because I caught it. Isn't this like a finder's keepers type thing? Yes, but because of the significance of the home run, the Yankees have been keeping these home run balls. They got the 56th, the 57th, the 58th. There was one that a fan wouldn't give up, home run number 59 in Milwaukee. They're trying to keep these for posterity, for Judge and his, you know, trophy case and all of that. And it's a piece of baseball history. 
you seem fairly certain, at least for the moment, that you would keep the ball, period. However, what if everyone has a price, right? What if they offered you a huge amount of incentives to give the ball up? Surely you are not so fixated on keeping that thing that you would not listen to offers. Well, Guy, I know you know this already, but I'm not cheap. And so it would have to be <laughs> it would have to be a very hefty price for me to hand over that ball. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, like you just said, it's a piece of history. Why can't I have the piece of history? Or what if you want it, then you're gonna have to pay for it. I it's a business deal. I think that that's an understandable and defensible position. I like that this fan said that he wanted to give it back to Judge because Judge has done so much for the Yankees and all of that. I think that's probably the attitude that I would have adopted. But the flip side of it is if you look at some of the pieces and articles about this, there are experts suggesting that the 60th home run ball from Aaron Judge could potentially be sold in the ballpark of five figures, like over $10,000 potentially, maybe tens of thousands of dollars. And that's an awful lot of money for anyone. And I would guess home run number 61 and then 62 would be even more valuable, potentially. So, you know, giving that that gold mine up for a few autographed pieces of paraphernalia and an opportunity to go down to the clubhouse and meet Judge, I mean, that's a pretty low price compared to what this thing could probably fetch on the open market. I'm with you. I mean, it's just for me. And, and let's be honest, I'm not I'm just getting into sports now. I'm a huge football fan. So I just think that, sorry, if I'm getting the ball, I'm keeping the ball or you better pony up. Oh, should I not say pony? <laughs> pony up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> Dan, you're a Yankee fan. You are a sports fan. Is Christine off base? Do you like what this guy Kessler did, or would you have driven a tougher bargain? Well, as a Yankee fan, and I love baseball too, I'm a little torn here. I understand the significance of balls and things like this are. I I don't know that I'm giving the ball back right away. I'd have to really think about it. At least there's got to be a price. I would be like maybe five years behind the plate season tickets or something like that, something, <laughs> okay. something equivalent of maybe like – 100 grand 200 grand because you know the yankees don't really care about me so you know i need something back for giving this ball back to judge but i do understand that i would probably give the ball back because he wants it it's a piece of history for the organization and for aaron judge yeah and he hit it and it's baseball history i did hear that when they had the chance to go meet with judge and they talked to him down in the clubhouse after the game kessler's roommate who was there with him took the opportunity to lobby Aaron Judge to stay in New York and to re-sign with the Yankees, which is going to be a big negotiation. He's having this monster year in a walk year, so that contract is going to be gargantuan when it finally gets hammered out, and there's, I guess, a possibility that Judge wouldn't stay in the Bronx if they can't come to terms. So I like the fact that these Yankee fans took the opportunity face-to-face with Judge to be kind of doing him a favor and then in the meantime say, hey, please stay. We want you here. I think that is a good use of their time. I think that is a wise strategic decision on behalf of the fan base, so I do appreciate that. In the meantime, we are out of time here on The Guy Benson Show from Chicago today. Back in D.C. tomorrow, we've got a great lineup already coming together. Same time, same place for the Guy Benson Show. Have a great night, and thank you, as always, for listening. 
home stretch on this Thursday. It's the Guy Benson Show from D.C. today, New York tomorrow and Monday. A lot of TV coming up, as I've mentioned. Glad that you're here. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. Podcast is always free and on demand. It is the first day of fall, and I am very excited about that because fall is probably by far my favorite season. It's my favorite weather, best temperatures, sweater but not heavy coat. Right, It's not the freezing, frigid winter, but it's not the sweltering, humid summer. It's just a little crisp. You've got football. You've got my favorite holiday, which is Thanksgiving, in the middle toward the end of fall. So I am always excited when you first get that first slight chill in the air. Again, not too cold, and some people whine and complain that summer is gone. I'm ready for summer to be gone probably midway through August, honestly. So it's the first day of fall, and I just wanted to shout out my favorite season. Hello, autumn. We've been waiting for you. And part of the fall is back to school. If you have kids and you're a parent and they're in really any kind of school, public or private, you are familiar with the annual ritual known as back-to-school night where parents schlep over to the school and meet the teachers and they get to hear a preview of what's going to happen in the academic year. And my parents would do that every year, and we were very excited to hear what they thought when they came home. So last night was back-to-school night for producer Christine, or maybe it was the night before. It was this week. Producer Christine and her husband Bobby went to -to back-to-school night for their daughter, Megan, who is in third or fourth grade at this point, elementary school certainly. Christine, is it fourth grade? Is in fourth grade. Fourth grade, okay. So you were all excited. You were telling us it's back to school night. Uh, You were excited to meet everyone and chat with your fellow parents and talk to the teachers and all of it. And then we get uh, a text message from you to the group last night, our little group texting here at the show. And you said that back to school night was a big success, which is a lovely message to relay, except there was a photograph accompanying this message, and it was a cocktail. It appeared that you were at some sort of establishment having a cocktail, and I was a little bit confused by what was going on here. Uh, You said that back-to-school night was a success. There's your cocktail. I responded, obviously, more of a success than Sober September, which was your stated goal at the beginning of the month, although you started like four or five days into September, lasted, I think, less than a week, and now you're drinking on a school night during back-to-school night, What was the timeline here? Did you go after back-to-school night to a bar or something? Yes, we did. So we took advantage of the fact that we had a babysitter, obviously, so Bobby and I could both attend back-to-school night. And it was a success. We sat in Megan's classroom. I got to read the lovely note that she gave to Bobby and I. I looked through her desk. We talked to the teacher, figured out what's going to happen, you know, this year. Um, got told Megan's a little chatty, so we got to work on that. I have no clue where she gets her chattiness from, <laughs> but we do have to work on that a little bit. And then, uh, we left and we went to a fine establishment right near our home. So, um, I hadn't had dinner, so I could order something very quickly. And it just so happens they had some martini specials. And I mean, the lemon drop martini just looked delicious. How, is, how can I deny myself or the bartender to make one? And I, I just wanted to say, I think I never told you one of the other rules about Sober September is if you have a babysitter, 
I mean, you can't waste the night, can you? Yeah, so Sober September was yeah. a complete misnomer from the very beginning. You drank through the long weekend at the beginning of September and then instantly started changing the rules to allow yourself multiple exceptions to drink, including apparently on a school night, on a Wednesday, on back to school night because of some babysitter rule? Well, I mean, as parents know, and you'll understand this guy, it is very rare that we have a babysitter, especially during the week. I'm usually sound asleep by 9, 9.30. So when Bobby and I, and we got to finish a little earlier than expected, <laughs> back to school night, so, um, you know, we didn't want to just pay the babysitter for one hour. That's not like a lot for her. So we were kind of like doing her a favor as well. You know, she got oh. two hours of pay. Bobby yes. and I got to go. Very, to very selfless of you. It was a big favor to the babysitter. Yes. Look, I am not questioning the wisdom of taking advantage of having a babysitter at home so you can go out and have an enjoyable evening. Correct. Not at all. I am saying that you cannot come on and boast about doing Sober September and then just not follow through at all and find multiple excuses to drink. Also, we have just sort of skipped over, I think, a crucial detail. I just heard quite a euphemism, I believe, from you. You said that you got to leave a little bit earlier than expected, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. uh, what does that mean exactly, Christine? So Bobby and I felt that after the first half an hour of back to school, we got the gist of what was to come, you know, what is expected of Megan. And we didn't feel we needed to stay there for the back half of the hour. Uh, I guess you I'm sure you understand that. So you uh, left early is what you're saying. You skipped out on back to school night halfway through it to go drink. So That's the upshot here. So when we left the classroom, we were supposed to make a right. You were supposed to like spend 10 minutes in the music class and then 10 minutes in the Spanish class and then 10 minutes in like the art class. And so as all the parents were going right, Bobby and I just made a left and went right down the first uh, stairwell and back to our car. To go and have an evening nightcap. Correct. And to discuss, uh -huh. you know, our child's education and mm -hmm. what we thought about the whole night that lasted a half an well, hour. Yeah, because it wasn't the whole night. You had much less to discuss because you skipped half of it, including multiple different electives and, you know, special supplemental classes or whatever you want to call them, enrichment programs. I don't know what you call those things. But I just wonder, how do you think that reflected on you or on Megan for these teachers who will perhaps notice that her parents were there at one point and then suspiciously not there for half of the programming at back to school night. You know, it was pretty chaotic, the back to school night. I don't know if they really organized it as well as they should have. So I'm not really sure anybody would realize whether Bobby and I were there. And I think we, like I said, we did the most important part. We sat with her teacher and, you know, I got to write my letter. I, I remember writing that letter, you know, Judgey Joyce really wasn't a back to school person at night. She, she, I, she just they didn't do that so I remember writing those letters growing up and I'm like this is going nowhere I don't even know if my mom's gonna show up so like I feel like I won half the battle already I was there I wrote my letter so to Megan you're arguing that because your mother was totally <laughs> derelict and did not go at all to back to school night uh -huh. you are making an improvement by showing up and leaving early to drink yes each generation does better than the one before all right so Megan might actually be an attentive parent I am a very attentive parent. Megan, listen, Megan, 
Megan is like an easy kid. We say she's like a cat. We don't bother her. She doesn't bother us. She, you know, she's very smart. She can do her homework. Like well, apparently very, a little chatty, a little chatty cat. Yeah, <laughs> a little chatty. We did, we did hear that. We we were told that she she does like to talk, and apparently she she finishes her work a lot quicker apparently than the other kids. So then she just thinks it's time to go up to talk to the teacher. The teacher's like, I have to remind her, like, I'm not her friend. <laughs> she can't what just talk if, to me about her day. What if the art teacher or the music teacher or the Spanish teacher also had important feedback about your daughter and student for you? You're just not going to mm. get that information, right? Because you decided to play hooky. Well, this wasn't like, you know, the teacher parent conference. Obviously, I'm not going to play hooky on that. I don't think they really. Is that obvious? Is that obvious? (laughs) Yes. By the way, because I I was literally driving in here today and we were doing our planning call. I've been Uh traveling so much in so many different places. I was in California. Then I was in Illinois. Then I was in Wisconsin. Then Illinois again. I go to New York tonight. And I just momentarily forgot what day of the week it was. I could not for the life of me remember what day it was. And then Dan kindly mentioned that it's Thursday. And I said, okay. He said, well, yeah, tomorrow's Friday. And you just very confidently, you were like, you know, guy, if you, you know, your brain is scrambled, you've been traveling so much. If you need to take some time off tomorrow at any point, just hand me the microphone. I can just take over on the Friday show. And, you know, I thought about that, and I said, well, that could be interesting. Like, hey, let's let producer Christine do the 5 o'clock hour, the happy hour on a Friday. The problem is it could be like we come back from break, the music's playing at 5.35 in the home stretch or getting close to the home stretch, the back half of the hour, and the music just plays and plays and plays, and there's no one there to talk because somewhere Christine's off at a bar. She's already got her Cosmo in front of her. She's like, yeah, I did the first half. It's good enough. I see I'm laughing but you're kind of making me look like a very bad parent here and I don't appreciate that am, this is why am I, I, I making you look like that or are you making you look like that I'm telling you right now you talk to any parent out there they get a babysitter during a weeknight and they get like a little time to spend with their husband maybe over a cocktail could be a coca-cola I'm not gonna judge but they're going to do it I think we got, like I said, we we understood what was happening at school. We get where Megan, you know, mm-hmm. w- what we need to work on. And also, Megan, in her letter, she, she wrote to mommy and daddy saying, you know, thank you for sending her to the school. And it's so nice. And she knows that we work hard to do that. And, you know, she can't wait for to hear about what we think about her teacher. And then she wrote, and mommy... You were going to meet all my friends' parents. And then in parentheses, I'm sure you will talk to, and then she wrote in caps, all of them tonight. (laughs) Well, but the truth was, no, it was only some of them because maybe you would have gotten around to chatting with all of them, except you were bang. You were like hightailed it out of there halfway through the evening. So that was back to school-ish, like back-ish to school night for producer Christine and this, you know, husband Bobby fully implicated in this one as well. This is not just a, a cookie caper. This is both of them. So I'm not, I have no editorial comment on this. I'm not shaming anyone. I'm not saying it was good parenting or bad parenting. I'm just putting the facts out there and making sure the audience has a fulsome understanding and a full picture of what happened. And then they can make decisions about whether or not to judge you. And that's their call. I can't help what they think. Can I just say one last thing? You may. So we, we, we got to the school. We got everything we needed to. Then think about this. You know, the way the, 
everything is with inflation and the prices of things. Like we went to a restaurant, a local restaurant, and we were able to provide money to them. We were able to provide money to a babysitter an extra hour. I mean, think about it. So really skipping out on your daughter's back to school night was a civic service on your part is what you're arguing here. Well, we did it all. It was such a huge success. We did it all. Can multitask. You should see you should see War Wyatt sitting here in DC <laughs> across the glass, just shaking his head. I think I think we know how one person feels about this. And I guess the audience, again, they can take in all of the data points that we have now shared. Christina has now given her final spin. I think that it is Jean-Pierre-esque in its quality, in my personal opinion. And with that, we're out of time. Friday edition of The Guy Benson Show is tomorrow from the Big Apple. Be up in New York for lots of TV. We'll give you that schedule again, of course, each day as necessary, as helpful. In the meantime, have a great evening. Thank you so much for listening. It is The Guy Benson Show. Home stretch, Friday edition, almost there, together here. Thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcasts always free, including on the weekends. And bonus Benson. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, wherever you get your podcasts. You have options. Also, maybe tune in Saturday and Sunday, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, Fox News Channel. I'll be co-hosting the big show. You can also set your DVR. Otherwise, that's an opportunity for you. Over the weekend, I'm here in New York doing some TV hosting. Plus, bleeding into next week, We'll tell you about that on Monday's show when we get there. In the meantime, I am headed out to dinner tonight here in the city with some friends, and there are a few stories about restaurant etiquette that have been in the news lately. There was a piece in the New York Times magazine about how, for the longest time, I think city dining kind of starts later, and the window of dinner time is on the later side. But that apparently is changing. The Times reporting that 6 p.m. might be the new 8 p.m. for dinner in New York, where restaurants are getting busier and filling up and sort of having that buzz earlier on in the evening than they have in the recent past, really going back years. 6 p.m. to me always felt like early for dinner. I know a lot of people would define six as dinner time. I'm a much more sort of eat later person. Seven o'clock typically is when dinner time starts in my mind, maybe like 630. But apparently that trend is starting to reverse here in the city. And some of the go to bed early, dine early people that I know are celebrating this, including producer Christine, who Likes to catch the early bird special. She likes her senior specials around 4.30 p.m. But 6 o'clock is probably at least a start in your mind. 6 o'clock's a little late, actually. No, get out of here. No, I'm not kidding. If Bobby and I are going out, like, say, on a Saturday, and my mom has Megan, we'll probably be there by 5, 5.30. 5 o'clock for dinner? So good. It's by so much fun. choice? Like, that's your—it's not like— it's a hot restaurant. You can only get the 5 p.m. reservation. You want to be there at 5 p.m. Yes. But I have to say, um, we ate at Craig's in L.A. at 5 p.m. That was because I could only get the 5 p.m. reservation. And it was booming, by the way. But, yeah, Bobby and I would totally rather go early to dinner because then you get your cocktail on, you get your food on, you get home, 
have some nightcaps, watch a movie, you know, whatever, and then go to bed at a normal time. Yeah, my normal time to fall asleep usually is after midnight, usually between 12 and 1. No. Yeah. Every day. Most days. I'm like on my, what's it called, the REM cycle? Yeah, I am way into that. You're bite. deep into sleep. Yeah, I'm, I'm generally asleep after midnight. If I'm in bed in the 10 p.m. hour, it's because either I have a wake-up extremely early the next day or I'm under the weather. So you're definitely going to take night duty when you have kids because I'm just letting you know, usually when you have a baby, you're up by like 5 a.m. Yeah, I'll, I'll happily do night duty. That's sort of, I guess, what I'm built for. And as a result, I like dinner later. In fact, our reservation tonight, 9 p.m. Oh, my goodness. Seriously, sit, that would give me anxiety. You're going to sit down at 9 p.m. That's a little late for me, admittedly. There's an event beforehand, which is why. But if I have a dinner that I'm really looking forward to, to me, it's the centerpiece of the evening. It's not like something to get out of the way to then go do something else. A good dinner is what I want sort of the evening to revolve around. So my favorite dinner time would be like 7.30, 7.45, sit down. You can take you can take the six p.m. slot, Christine, as long as you're out of there by the time I arrive. So my <laughs> so my table's free. Well, you know, I mean, I read the article, and you know why this is happening, especially uh, around here, was during the pandemic when people were working at home by five p.m. They needed a break. They wanted to end their day, so then they started having dinner, and they got used to it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, oh, exactly. actually, I kind of like this now. Here's another one. This is from the Washingtonian. A lot of restaurants are now just adding the gratuity or the service charge to a bill automatically. And then the debate is, are you supposed to then tip on top of that? I understand for a large party, like eight or more, they'll add it for their own reasons. I don't really object to that. But just as a standard operating procedure, I don't like that at all. And if you ever go to Europe, for example, where tipping is less expected at lower levels or not at all, they often build in a service price. And as a result, generally, I would say service suffers. The service here is just better because there are incentives to have the clients, the diners, the customers be happy and tip you as opposed to, oh, I've already got this, so I'll just kind of, you know, loaf and do my job because there's no reason to go above and beyond and give superlative service. So I don't like that in general. And then this whole debate, if they add 18% already, are you supposed to tip even more? I don't know. I, I'm generally a pretty generous tipper. I usually, as a standard, do 20%, sometimes higher if it's really good. If they're already forcing 18% down my throat with no choice, that like kind of bothers me more and I might not tip up unless it's really good service. But the only thing I have to say is because I think you and Adam do the same thing. We have like particular restaurants that we go to and they know us. So like if one of those restaurants added the 18 percent, I think we would probably tip above that because. Yeah, if you're a regular. Yeah, if you're a regular, I get that would make sense. And like our regular place, you know, you've been there down by our house. We go there so often, we know the chef, she'll occasionally, especially if she sees that we're with someone else, like other people in our party, she'll send stuff to the table on the house. Like, here's a new dessert that we're trying. Here's a new appetizer. That is such a value add that 
I am always going to tip well at that restaurant because it's like it's our neighborhood spot. They treat us great. We want it to all be reciprocal. I'm just saying if I walk into some random restaurant and I see on the bill 18% already baked into the cake and the service was unremarkable, I don't think I'm adding to that. Well, I have a question for you. Okay. You are a person in the public. You're pretty well known. Does that factor into your tipping ever? Do you ever think, ooh, I don't want someone, you know, I, who knows? There's probably a website of, you know, who tips and who doesn't. Badtippers.com. Um, the one thing that I have done because of this is something that Adam has actually encouraged me to do, which is sometimes there'll be multiple bills if you're splitting it, and then you'll add the entire tip on one of the checks and then $0 on the other check because of just how the math works out. Or you'll pay the tip with cash, and so you're not filling out a number on the tip line. And he said, what if someone just like took a photo of that or whatever, and it looks like you've given $0 in tip, so I will write on the line, tip in cash, or tip on other check. I will write it down. Adam thought it was important for me to do. I could see how someone might try to like turn that against some stingy right-wing Fox News conservative or whatever. So I have made it something of a habit of doing that to make it clear that you can't invent some story about me. Because typically I'm going to give a good tip. And if you blow my socks off and you were just helpful and good and a pleasure to be served by or whatever... I'll go up to 25, very occasionally 30% if someone has really gone above and beyond. I think in societies where there is not a premium put on service and where there aren't incentives in place, you don't really get that as often. So I also do the thing when I'm overseas, I will Google at the table on my phone, like what are the tipping practices in fill in the blank? Because I think a lot of the time, they're like, oh, good, here's some Americans. We're about to get a silly tip that we would never get otherwise. I like to be at least hitting the average in that place. And then occasionally, if they're really good, I'll give a bigger tip. And if they want to feel like Americans are more generous, great. I just don't want them to think that we're idiots getting taken advantage of. No, I totally agree. And I have to say two things. One, I've noticed service has gone downhill since the pandemic. For the most part, I agree. What is happening? Like, why would it go downhill? Is it just because there's lack of servers in each restaurant? It just, it, to me, it seems like they just don't care. Like, you know, you can have your salad and 45 minutes later, they're bringing your dinner and they do not care that you're upset about that. And if you have particularly bad service, the way that you can reflect that is with a lower tip. Now, I will say it takes very bad service to get me to come down even to 15%. If you get a 10% tip from me in the United States, you have done a particularly bad job. That's just sort of my rule of thumb. Also, I was at dinner once with a whole group of people and there were some ladies who were paying the bill and they had had a few drinks and they were giggling and they were conferring and they were writing it down and... They were just not really paying attention and not really, I guess, aware of the math or something. So we leave, and the hostess or the manager of the restaurant literally chased us out of the restaurant to ask if there was something wrong with the service because after all of that, they had given something like less than 10% of a tip, just absentmindedly, like they were, I don't know what they were focusing on, and it was 
so embarrassing, which is why I often like to almost double-check the work. If it's people that I know, especially they've been drinking. There was another guy who had the opposite issue. He'd been drinking and was feeling great and, I don't know, carried the wrong number or something and gave a completely ludicrous tip, and I did catch that one. It's like a $600 tip. He meant 60 $600. I was like, um, is that the tip that you're trying to give here? And he was like, what? Oh, whoa. And he had absolutely done it. So I feel like I'm not a math person, but with certain folks out there, and if you're listening right now, you know who I'm talking about. I might, in fact, be talking about you right now. You need some, I don't know, young adult supervision to make sure that you're not blowing it. So I take it, we could wrap this up. You and I are going away next week, and we probably will be dining together. Not next week, right? The week after next. We leave a week from Sunday. A week from this coming Sunday. Yeah, yeah. so the week after next. We've oh, got okay. a whole week in between. Right. Don't scare me like it's so soon that we're going to be spending a week together. I have a little <laughs> bit of time to prepare. But will you be advising or you know monitoring if I'm yes. giving the tip? we'll be monitoring very closely. And will we be eating at... Six, six thirty, seven, or five. Very interesting question. And normally, I would say at my preferred time of because course. you know I'm the talent. Right, of course. Except uh-huh. I'm the talent. <laughs> but 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 where are we going? To the West Coast, uh-huh. where it's three hours earlier. And so in my brain, by 6 o'clock, especially if I haven't really adjusted, it's already 9 o'clock. I get hungrier earlier out there. So you might get your wish after all, Cookie. But I'll be double-checking your math on the tip. And now we got to go. It is the weekend. Have a great time. Tip your waitresses reasonably. We'll be back here on Monday for The Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. That was this week's edition of Bonus Benson. For more Guy Benson Show, go to GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.